and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Micah mentioned that this is not the, a, an easy passage, and I would agree with him. If I was going te- te- uh, to pick a passage to draw a crowd, I don't think Revelation 18 would be it. I also don't think you'd, cho- you'd, you'd get people to move to Nevada with the weather we're having. So I'm going to do my best to make this not too heavy, but at the same time, it, it is something that we want to understand about uh, the character of God, the plan of God, and what he's going to do with uh, false religion and those who practice it. That's really what this passage is about. The destruction or the fall of Babylon the Great is a time when before Jesus' return, before his second coming, he will cause events to take place that destroy uh, false religion and those who practice it. And so that's what this passage is about, and indeed it is a bit heavy. Uh, What can happen with a passage like this is you might make the mistake of thinking that the reason that you want to obey and follow God is because you're afraid of judgment. You don't want to be punished. And, you know, we could have that approach with things. Um, You you might have that approach. Remember having that approach with your parents when you were younger. The only reason you did what you wanted them or what, what they wanted you to do was so you didn't get in trouble. And when they weren't around, you did what you wanted. It, it's not really a good relationship. It doesn't, uh, there's an aspect of fear and the, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We should understand that he is all powerful and that he is the judge of the world. But the other side of God, uh, the, the, the commingling of his judge, judgment is his love, that he cares about us, that he, that he uh, forgives us, that he's done what's necessary for us to have relationship with him once again. And so while there's an element of, yes, we should obey God because the consequences would be severe to do otherwise, the true motivation of following God is responding to his love. Okay, And so I don't want you to lose that in this passage, that the true motivation for believing in Jesus, for following him and dedicating our life to him is one of reciprocating the love that he has shown to us. That said, it would be foolish to not recognize the power and authority that he has to judge us. And so... uh, Uh, That's kind of what I want you to be thinking about as we go into this. The fall of Babylon the Great, the woman, this religious system that started in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel that says, if we work really hard, if we do things for God, um, he will owe us, right? And that's what most, well, it's what all false religion says, that if we work real hard, God would then be obligated to bless us because of what we've done for him. What what the true religion is and what the Bible teaches is that we're broken and we certainly need to be brought back into relationship with God, but we don't earn that. Instead, it's something that's given to us, okay? And so all false religion across the earth, it, it says that you work your way to God and he will be obligated to bless you. What the true Religious understanding of who God is and the relationship that we can have with him, true religion recognizes that God came to us and blesses us. We don't work our way to him. We say thank you for what he's done. 
Okay, And so from that place of gratitude and understanding God's love, we're then motivated to obey him, to honor him, to live a life that pleases him. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, a, a Presbyterian uh, minister and pastor, uh, apologist in the 20th century, he said, live to provoke questions for which the gospel is the answer. That we want to live our lives in a way that provokes people to say, why are you living like that? Why are you, why, why do you reject what society says about sexuality? Why do you, why do you live a life that's upright and holy? Why do you, why do you, why do you open your home to the stranger? Why do you rearrange your life so that you can use your finances to bless the poor? Why do you, why do you do what you do? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And so we want to live our lives in a way that would provoke questions for which the gospel is the only answer. And then you might ask, why, why would I do that? Or maybe why wouldn't I do that? Um, and, and I think one of the things that we have to recognize about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is that we do what we do because he is worthy. I would choose to live my life in a way that provokes the question, why are you doing that so that I can answer Jesus? Because Jesus is worthy of that. And if I'm not willing to live my life in that way, if I'm not willing to live my life in a way that provokes that question, if I, if I just kind of go with the flow, I drink the Kool-Aid of the age and I do what everybody else is doing and I fall into that trap of, of, of just meeting the societal norms, the reason that I would do that it's because deep down, I don't think Jesus is worthy. Deep down, I, I don't believe that he's worth rearranging my life for. Deep down, I, I'm not there. And so one of the things that we have to say about ourselves is, is you know, I, I don't want to be in the position where he would look at me and say, you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say. You call me Lord, Lord, but don't obey my commands. Um, and that's what false religion would lead us to do. It would lead us to maybe even say that we believe in Jesus, but not live like he was the Lord of our lives. And so I want to draw out some things about what false religion is within the end times. I want to draw some things out about what false religion is in the age that we live. Um, but I also really want you to see as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ that he is worthy, um, that we should give our lives to him. Um, it's the rational thing for us to do based upon what he's done for us. Um, so let me pray and then we'll look at this passage in Revelation together. Father, this morning, we, we come to you, I pray we come to you with the desire to know you more. Uh, I pray that we come with, to you with a desire um, to live a life that honors you knowing that your son Jesus came to us and died for our sins. The incarnate deity took up flesh and lived among us and showed us what truth is and led us to life and then died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That is your great love for, our, for us that you've shown to us. And God, based upon your love and based upon your pursuit of us, based upon your pursuit of me, Will you show me how I can best respond to you and live in a way that honors you, live in a way that glorifies you, live in a way that provokes the question, why are you doing that? And then I have the opportunity to say, because I follow the risen Lord Jesus. 
Help us to reject any other form of religious thought, being able to spot it in our own lives and the lives of our loved ones and um, weed it out. We want to do that in your strength. Will you guide us through your word this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. So verse 1 of chapter 18. After this, after the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath and an explanation of those bowls and what they're judging. After this, I saw another great angel, excuse me, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Uh, We see angelic beings throughout the book of Revelation. When we get to the book of Hebrews, we'll actually find that there are those who would worship angelic beings, and we're told not to do that. Um, So we don't want to miss the point here. Angelic beings, the splendor that they have is because of their proximity to God, right? And so we wouldn't worship them, but instead the one whose proximity uh, that causes them to illuminate this way, that causes them to be so splendorous. And it says that this angel called out in a mighty voice, it has fallen. That means to be destroyed. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons. That word home is the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 for abode or abide. It's become a place where there's a close dwelling. Um, And the idea that's kind of presented to us in in that statement is where is your home? Um, where, where is your home? Where is your abode? Is it with God or would it, be, would it be somewhere else? But this false religious system, it has become a home for demons, a haunt, which is a prison for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. That word despicable means detested or hated. Um, and what, what he's saying there is the spiritual things that cause harm to humanity in rebellion to God This false religious system is where those things live. Spiritual beings and those under the control of those spiritual beings, they live in a system of false religion. And that's been destroyed at this point when before Jesus' return. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Uh, When we see sexual immorality within particularly apocalyptic literature, it's always tied to idolatry, right? So the worship of a created thing, um, um, person, place, or thing, ourselves, or some uh, created thing around us, we worship something that is created rather than the creator, it's always paired with sexual immorality. So if you see sexual immorality in your life, you know there's an idol that needs to be dealt with. If you see sexual immorality in the life of somebody that you care about, you know that there's an idol that needs to be dealt with. They're worshiping or We ourselves are worshiping something other than God when we see sexual immorality in our lives. Now, if you saw it rampant in a culture, what would that say about the culture? And it says that the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And that's God's fitting anger for the false religious system. The only thing that this false religious system that says you and I can work our way to God's and he'll owe us. And in the process, we can live extravagant and sensual lives, um, doing what we want rather than what God would desire for us. When we live in that way, the only thing that is fitting for it is God's judgment and anger. says, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Uh, Just a couple of quick observations there. I think it's important to know that those who are in political power are suckers for false religion. 
Um, We all are to a certain degree, but those who find themselves in a position of political power, false religion is very appealing to them. And the reason it is, is because it furthers their power, their influence, their prestige. Okay. And so we should pray for our leaders that they wouldn't fall into this trap. Be that a local leader, a state leader, a national leader, we should pray for them that they don't fall into this trap. And if they are in it, we we should pray for their rescue from it. The other thing we learn is that there's these merchants, lovers of money feed off of false religion. Um, People who love money, they look at false religion and say, this is a great opportunity for us to make some coin. This is a great opportunity for us to get ahead. And and, and we've seen that throughout history. The the Christian church has been used in that way. Uh, People have used the church for personal gain, for uh, financial advancement, for more power. And when you see that, you know right away, that is not someone to be trusted. That is not someone that should be in leadership. Okay, but lovers of money, they, they grab onto false religion as peddlers of the temporal. Uh, they would sell to us things that we can have and hold instead of pointing us to the eternal God um, and, and to be embraced by him. And we see that they've grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. When uh, the, the fruit of false religion is sensuality and excess. Right? So it says we're going to work real hard and do what God wants so that he will have to bless us. But really what we're going to do is live a sensual life. Maybe it's in public, maybe it's in private. Maybe it's written into our doctrine that we can be sensual and, and do whatever we want with, with our sexual practices. Or maybe it's secret and we do it when no one is looking. But the fruit of false religion is sensuality and excess, greed. Okay, And so when you see sensuality and greed within your own life, you know you're following a false religion. When you see sensuality and greed within a religious institution, you know that they're practicing false religion. But this religious system that's been a, come home for demons and a prison for those who practice what fouls the earth and causes hate on the earth, uh, it, the immorality, the idolatry, the sensuality, the greed and the luxury that run this system, it it cares not for people, but for power. It cares not about people, but to experience pleasure at the cost of people. It's willing to degrade and exploit anyone to further its agenda. It is only fit for wrath and destruction as God judges. And that's what's going to happen before Jesus' return. This system is going to be destroyed. We live in an age where it's all over the place. Um, It's going to be ramped up during the Great Tribulation and come to a big burnout as Jesus destroys it. And so then there's another voice from heaven in verse four. And it tells us as believers, it says, then I heard another voice from heaven, come out from her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Uh, Go away from her, desert her, escape false religion, those who belong to God, and make sure that you are not connected to or participate in her sins. Because if you do, what you're grabbing for yourself is judgment. That's what you will receive. And it's not something that uh, the word there receive, it's like the idea of what you want, which it's what you're laying hold of. 
When you practice false religion, when I practice false religion, when I worship an idol, person, place, or thing, some created thing ahead of God, what I grab hold of is discipline and punishment. That word plague, it means to hit, wound, or bruise. I think I'm grabbing life. I'm actually grabbing a beating at the hands of the thing that I think is going to give me life. The idol uh, promises me life but destroys me. And so he says, come away from that so that you won't participate in it and receive the wounds of that way of living. Verse five, for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. That means injustices and trespasses, treating people in ways that do not honor them and ignoring God's laws. Pay her back the way that she also paid and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I will sit as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never see grief. The pride and short-sightedness. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, a short period of time, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord who judges her is mighty. And so God's people are called to escape from the ways of Babylon the great so that they don't experience God's discipline, God's wrath. God repays the glory and luxury with a double measure of torment and grief. Uh, This is very similar to what God said he was going to do to the Jewish people in their time of idolatry. When God takes the Babylonians and he judges the the city of Jerusalem with the Babylonians, he says something very similar throughout the book of Ezekiel, that he's going to repay the people for their ways. Uh, Ezekiel 18, 30 says this, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord. Repent. And turn from your rebellious acts so that they will not become a stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord. So repent and live. He's calling us to wake up. He's calling us to see the spiritual realm and the religious beliefs that we have for what they are, for the idolatry and the worship of something other than God, for the end that it brings us. He's calling us to wake up. He's saying, I want to give you a new heart, a new set of desires. I want to give you a a new spirit and a, a new power source to live your life. I don't want you to die. God actually takes no pleasure in anyone's death. There are those who look at God and think that he would enjoy the day of wrath. It is a sorrowful day for him. And his desire would be instead that we would repent and live. But when you look at this and the call to come out from this system, uh, there, there, are at least, there are several truths we can gather from this section. Uh, the first one is that Jesus has taken our wrath for us, so we will not experience that in an eternal sense. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to understand that if you've trusted that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, then you have been freed from ever experiencing an eternal source of God's wrath. But that doesn't mean that as a believer you won't experience temporal consequences for unrighteousness. If you live an unrighteous life, you're going to experience the consequences of that on earth. 
Uh, in some cases, God is very drastic in dealing with that, right? Ananias and Sapphira, at the beginning of the, of the church, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and God ends their time on earth. Sometimes it's quite serious to be disobedient to God. Sometimes he's slower with us. Whatever the case, it's probably better to trust him and obey so that we don't experience the consequences. But even then, the motivation is love, right? The motivation is love. But Jesus has taken wrath for us, and so we should choose gratitude daily. Every day that we wake, we should remember that we've been saved from the consequences of sin. We've been saved from the mistakes that we made yesterday, the ones we're going to make today, and the ones that are future. I don't want to make those mistakes. I want to walk in God's spirit. I want to choose to live by the power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment so that I can live in a way that's upright and holy and righteous and pleasing to God. I want to keep in step with the spirit rather than live out my own desires so that I can choose a life that honors God. But it's a choice that has to be made. So I choose gratitude daily, and I choose to follow the Holy Spirit moment by moment. But then there's some other choices that need to be made here. Proverbs, Proverbs 13.20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And so we need to choose who we're setting the course of our life with wisely. Because if I make a choice, say, say all you single people in the room, and you want to choose a person to spend the rest of your life with, it's very important that that person has a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, you're going to live with someone who does not know him, and the companion of fools suffers harm. Your spouse is going to make choices and do things that are actually going to pull you into a position of harm. And so choose wisely who you spend the rest of your life with. Choose wisely who you make your business associates and your partners. Choose wisely who you make your close friends. That's the next thing is, this is right out of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Choose your social environment deliberately. Who are my friends and where are we going and why? Do my friends honor God? Uh, it's not that I can't have friends who don't honor God, but if I'm going to have friends that don't live in relationship with God, my goal is to show them the light. My goal is to have them see the value, the benefit, the glory, the majesty of knowing the king of the universe so that they would come into relationship with him. I'm not going to be drugged down into the situations that they would go. I'm going to choose my friends wisely. I'm going to choose my social environments wisely. College and high school students, hear me. Just because your buddies are going to a party doesn't mean you should too. Choose your social environment deliberately. Do I want to go to this place where drunkenness and carousing are the way of life? What would I gain from that? What would I lose from that? And so I'm going to choose my social environment deliberately. Joshua 24, 15 says, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Joshua's at the end of his ministry and he's telling people, choose what you're going to worship. The gods of your ancestors that you worshiped in the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you live. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. And so there's a choice to be made about who and what you're going to worship eternally. The gods of your past, the gods of your neighbors, or the one true God who deserves it. Are you going to do what you did in the past? Are you going to do what those around you are doing? Or are you going to make a choice to say, no, Jesus Christ has saved me. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. Jesus Christ bled for me. He is worthy. He raised from the dead and proved himself to be the Messiah and God in human flesh. He deserves to be worshiped. 
And so I'm gonna make a choice to follow him. I'm not just gonna do what I did in the past. I'm not just gonna do what those around me are doing. I'm gonna make a deliberate choice to worship him. And then Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And so we choose what we think about with spiritual rationale. The verse preceding that says that we should offer our bodies to God as our work of spiritual service. But the Greek word actually means our rational response to what God has done. The rational response to what God has done is to fix my mind on him. He is the source of life. He is the source of justice. He is the source of forgiveness. He is the source of love. He is the source of, of, of fulfillment. He is the source of the, the dreams that I want to have. I fix my mind on him. And that's the right and rational thing to do because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so Christian, hear me, if you're serious about following Jesus, then you must be serious about living like him and not the society around you. And there's a lot of places that we could talk about where this is an issue, but, but I want to kind of try and boil it down to three. And the places that we as Christians should be different, we should be different in our approach to God, we should be different in our approach to others, particularly children, women, and men. We should be different. And we should be different in our approach to politics or power, money or possessions, and truth or perspective. We should be different in those things. Let me expound a little bit. We should be different in our approach to God. Our approach to God is not based upon superstition, but biblical truth. Not things that have been gathered over the years that are wrong beliefs and superstitious thought about, you know, if I have the right object or the right amulet, if I, you know, the new age beliefs where if you have the right crystal, good things are gonna happen to you, that's superstitious, it's nonsense. We believe in biblical truth. And if we wanna have uh, the right answers to the questions in life, we turn to God's word. Not what's popular in New Age belief or the other thing we don't do is we don't do the salad bar of religion, right? I'm going to grab a little bit from here and a little bit from there and I like this portion of the Bible but not that portion of the Bible. No, I practice and I believe the faith. That's what the apostle said, that we should believe the faith, that there is a singular biblical faith that is absolute that will save us and everything else will condemn us. So I believe the faith and I follow the biblical Jesus not an Americanized Jesus. I follow the biblical Jesus, the one that the scriptures talk about. I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've, saw what he done in the, I've seen what he did in the book of Acts, and I understand what he's going to do in the book of Revelation. I believe in the biblical Jesus. And the Americanized Jesus tends to go in one of two ways, the liberal bent or the, the hardcore conservative religious bent. The, the liberal bent says Jesus is okay with you practicing whatever you want. Your sin's not a big deal. Have a nice time. You can, you can say that you love him but not obey him. And the other side says the way to salvation is through religious works. Rather than I receive salvation from God, and then I live it out in fear. I work it out in fear and trembling as a response to what he's done for me. So I worship the biblical Jesus, not an Americanized Jesus. So we're different in our approach to God. The other thing we should be is we should be different in our approach to children, to women, and to men. With children, we should fight any form of educational system that instills wrong belief into our children. 
And that means the, the public school system may be an issue. Maybe, maybe your kids still have to go there, but you're vigilant about what's being taught to them. Maybe it's their friend group. They have a bad peer group. Maybe you have a bad peer group. You're going to high school and you have a bad peer group. They're leading you away from God rather than to him. Uh, we're, we're vigilant about what they're learning through social media. Um, I was watching an interview with Sean McDowell and Dave Kinneman. Um, Sean McDowell has an apologetics ministry. Dave Kinneman works for Barna Group. Um, Barna Group just did a research where they, they surveyed 25,000 students across 26 countries. And one of the things that they found in first world countries is that most people are being formed by their phones, not their family. They're, they're being discipled by their phones, not the word of God. And so I, I'm gonna give you permission to do this as a parent. You are allowed to tell your student, your child, that they are not mature enough to have a smartphone and take it away if they're using it in a manner that's harming them. You have the right to do that. The other thing you may have to recognize as an adult that I'm using this phone in a way that's actually leading me away from God rather than to him. Maybe I don't need this thing. Maybe I need to put it on the shelf. Maybe this thing isn't benefiting me and so if it's causing me to stumble, maybe I should tear it out. We have to pay attention to the TV shows and the movies that our children are watching. They are forming the movies and the TV shows that your children watch are forming their view of the world. Unless, and it could be very negative, unless you step in and say, okay, we just watched this movie. Let's talk about how they, in this movie, what they did is they took somebody who was doing something wrong and immoral and they made them the hero. They actually caused you to root for somebody who was doing something that is totally wrong. We should recognize that for what it is. And so you, you, you digest the film with your child. You help them think it through. As, as parents, you have to understand that you raise your children and under no circumstances should we abdicate that role given to us by God to teach our children what is right, true, and honorable in God's eyes. That is, that is a God-given role that God has given to each and every one of us as parents of our children and under no circumstances should you abdicate it to a school, should you abdicate it to a church, should you abdicate it, those things can be a, a good part of it, but you should not abdicate it. It's your role to raise your child, to teach them what is right, what is true, what is honorable, what is good, what is pleasing to God. That doesn't mean that you can't find a school or find a church where that, that's supported, but, but Brendan can't raise your children. That's your job. So we never abdicate that. We're different in our approach to women and we reject the object objectification and degradation of women. Did you know that you live in a society that tells you that a woman's value is her physical form, not her heart and soul? And so we learn to see a woman for her mind, her emotions, her will, her character, not her physical form. And hear me, women, See yourselves that way. The development of your character into the image of Christ. 
don't hold yourself up to the image of some supermodel and say, this is what I need to attain. Hold yourself up to the image of Christ and say, this is where I want to go. And so men, we never participate in coarse joking about women. We never participate in sexual harassment of women. In fact, if we see it, we stand up and we go, I don't think so, not while I'm here. You're not going to talk to her like that while I'm in the room. We empower women to be who God is calling them to be. And that's going to be unique for each woman, each individual. But we empower them to say, what is God placed? What dreams does he have for you? As you look at the future of your life and you look at maybe the next five years, the next 10 years, what dreams has God put in your heart and how can we get you there? We protect women from believing that their worth is in their beauty, their sexual appeal, or their willingness to give themselves away to boys claiming to be men or any other viewpoint, wrong belief that is propagated about society that teaches them to have their worth in the wrong thing. This next part about men, I I don't mean to offend anyone with this, it's not my point, but we reject the wussification of men. We encourage young men to be strong, driven, and never back down from what God is calling them to. You be strong as a young man. You be driven as a man. And you never back down from what God is calling you to. We encourage these strong, driven, never backing down men to lead others by serving them as Christ did. We say, if you want to be great as a leader, if you want to be great as a man, you know what you do? You say, I'm going to sacrifice of myself for the benefit of my wife. I'm going to sacrifice of myself for the benefit of my children. I'm going to sacrifice of myself. I'm going to arrange myself under them so that I can support them, so that I can lift them up, so that I can push them forward, so that my wife's dreams can come true, so that my children's dreams can come through. And I'm going to sacrifice. That might cost me money. It might cost me time. It might cost me possessions. But I'm going to sacrifice these things so that my wife's dreams come true, so that my children's dreams given to to them by God come true. Because that's what Christ did for us. It's what he does for us. And so we encourage men to lead their families by standing tall, protecting, teaching truth, practicing repentance. There may come a moment in your life where you go, you know what, I fell into the trap and I worshiped a created thing rather than God himself and my children saw me do it and I've kind of instilled a wrong belief in them through my practices. I'm gonna repent of it to God, but also to them, so they can know it for what it is. I got caught up in the workplace, and I fell into joking about things that truly aren't funny, and so I'm going to repent of that, and I'm not going to be a part of that in my workplace anymore. I've, I've actually been objectifying women, and I've been using my cell phone in a way that's causing me to further the objectification of women, and so I'm going to repent of that. I've been, I've been treating uh, women in my life as, as, as those that could be held down, and I'm not doing that anymore. I'm lifting them up. I'm repenting of that. And if you're willing to do that, you'll provide an example worth following, and you'll be the kind of man that others can depend upon. And the other thing you should never do as a man 
and nobody should ever ask you it, never apologize for being a Christ-like man. Never apologize for being masculine. Never apologize for being who God has made you and fulfilling the role that he has given you as a leader in your family. Never apologize for that. God made men and women and children in his image for the purpose of glorifying him. Never accept any form of teaching that contradicts that truth. I'm spending more time on this than I wanted to. We're not going to finish on time. Um, the other thing, we should be different in our approach to politics or power, money or possessions, truth and perspective. And so we love Jesus, not a political party. It's okay to be involved in a political party, but I run, I filter what the political party and the people within it say through the word of God. And if it doesn't match with what Jesus says, I, I vote Jesus, not the political party. We love people and not our possessions. We love people and not our possessions. That means that our possessions are there for the benefit of others, not the expansion of more possessions. We love others, but we're not foolish enough to think that that means accepting what is false. Unconditional love and unconditional acceptance are not the same thing. I can love you unconditionally and totally disagree with your choices in life. I can love my children unconditionally and disagree with the way that they're living their life. And so I wonder if Christians will be different. We'll put down the Kool-Aid and we'll follow Jesus, not the crowd. And what the remaining verses do is they show us that there's consequences for doing otherwise. And so go back to verse nine with me. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared in their sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off and fear of her torment saying, whoa, whoa, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city. In a single hour, your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, and silk, and scarlet, all the kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass and iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, slaves, human lives. Again, it's drawn out that in order to possess these things, we'll take advantage of anyone. The fruit you carved has left you. All your splendor and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who become rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And everything that you own, with rare exceptions, headed to the dump. And every shipmaster, seafarer, and sailors, those who do business by sea, stood off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out. Who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying and weeping and mourning. Woe, woe, the great city, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. In a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. And so there's three 
laments from the people, the seafarers, the, the merchants. They see this destruction of the great city and this threefold lament where they go, oh, it's broken, it's complete, they're gone. And the people of God are actually told to look at it and rejoice because the false religious system that leads people astray has fallen. It's broken. Um, and as you go forward here in the passage, it says, then a mighty angel picked up a, a large stone or stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea saying, in this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpets, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. I can do without the trumpeters. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the groom and the bride will never be heard in you again. All of this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And that word sorcery in the Greek is pharmakia. It means to mix idolatry, a false practice of religion with uh, drugs resulting in an occult experience. And he says this is how people are led astray. Some sort of drug numbs people into believing that they have life without God and that way of living is going to be destroyed. It also says that this Babylon the Great, in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. What's being drawn out there is those who fight against God and bring death are doing so at the behest of a false religious system that started by Satan, brought about by people through uh, the Tower of Babel and then spread across the world throughout the millennia. Death exists not because of God, but because of us. And that's really important to remember. Because when we see death, we might have a tendency to blame God. Uh, but he is not its origin. We are. And so uh, the deception is vast. The deceiver is real. And the consequences of joining are eternal. And so once again, Revelation, it imposes the question, whose side are you on? Are you with Jesus or against him? Uh, Jesus will not be defeated. And neither will those who are rescued, redeemed, and restored by his death, burial, and resurrection. There are times in your life where you may feel defeated. I was actually listening to uh, a couple people talk, and somebody was saying, "Why does? Well, how come God hasn't healed so-and-so? Well, if that person is in Christ. He's going to heal them. Maybe not in the way that we think of it, but he's going to heal them and make them whole. We will not be defeated. And so the question is, are you on the side of deception and death or light and life? Moses said it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful to him for he is your life. And he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The impetus to choose is strong in the book of Revelation. Make a choice. Who are you? Who are you with? What are you for? How are you living? With God, in his strength, by his spirit, for his glory, something else. And so I wonder if you'll join me in stepping out from the crowd to follow Jesus, to trust his word and to live for his glory. I wonder if you'll join me in living such a way as to provoke questions for which the gospel is the only answer. And we're going to take communion right now. And as we do, 
I want you to remember what this thing is about, the, the little cup with the juice and the cracker. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. His death, his burial, his resurrection. He is telling us over and over again, remember, I'm worthy. Remember, he loved us. Remember, he sacrificed for us. Remember, he died for us. Remember, he saved us from our sins. Remember, he made us new creations. Remember, he gave us new life and a new heart and a new set of desires. Remember, his grace is sufficient. And so let me pray, and the elements are gonna come out. I believe the band, I'm not gonna sing. I believe the band is gonna come up. And uh, as the song is played and the elements are brought to you, I encourage you to take in this time of, uh, Jesus says in John 17, 17, that he wants to sanctify us by truth and that his word is truth. So take this time to allow God to inspect you, to let him show you if there's anything in you um, that is involved in practicing false religion. Let him weed it out. Heavenly Father, we, we pray to you now. We worship you because you are worthy. We worship your son because he is worthy. We worship by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us because he is worthy. And so we thank you for these things and remember what you've done in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.